you all please stand? We're going to read 1 Corinthians 14, 6 through 25. It's a pretty big chunk of scripture, but we'll get through it. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, here it is again, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. If I sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be little children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign, for belie- not, a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Well, prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophecy... And an un- but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. This is God's word. You may be seated. Help us, Lord, this morning to understand what we have before us and that Jesus may be glorified. His name, I pray. Amen. I've titled a message this week, A Healthy Community. A Healthy Community. And I want us, as we take the next 30 minutes or so, to kind of walk through this. We've got a big chunk of scripture that we're looking at, but I think that we can work through it fairly well. Um, I want us really to be focused on to be or to become lifelong followers of Jesus those healthy disciples working within this world that God has placed us, we need the whole body engaged. And not just like the whole body as we see here, but the whole body, mind, soul, and spirit, everything working together. We need the whole body engaged, both personally in my life and then corporately as a community of believers where he sets us down. We have to be working in that context if we're going to be operating in a healthy way in this world. You see, our success as a community of believers is actually birthed out of our personal quiet time and commitment and devotion to God and His calling throughout the week. 
We come together here. Our gatherings are once, if we are blessed by that, sometimes twice a week. More often than not in the culture that we live in, it's even less than that. Again, as I've said twice this morning, it seems that it is very, very easy for us to get to church, and therefore, it is very convenient for us not to go. And more often than not, the average churchgoer goes twice a month, is what is counted as a regular attender, but that's for another time. We have to understand that because our gatherings are that way, together as a corporate body, we cannot think that that is sufficient for our health. That's why our personal time with ourselves, at home, with our family, devotions and all of those things put together with our corporate gatherings are essential for our growth. It can't be the end all just to show up here for an hour on Sunday and think that we're going to be okay. Nor can it be an end all that I can have 15 minutes five days a week at my own little quiet time at home in the morning. We can't do it that way. It has to be the outworking of who we are when we gather together for the betterment of each and every member and then the overall community that we are put in as a person who follows Jesus. In doing so, we seek to grow together. That's the purpose and the point of us getting together on Sunday. This is what makes a healthy community. I'm going somewhere with this, so please be patient. I think it's important that we be reminded of this. If you already know this, you need to be reminded of it again. That's what makes a healthy community. How many of you find Sunday mornings to be the hardest morning to get yourselves going in the week with the exception of Monday? How many? Let's see a show of hands. Come on, let's be honest. Mondays are bad, but Sundays tend to be the hardest mornings of the week. Why is that? Everything seems more difficult Sunday morning when you try to pull yourself out of bed. If you've got kids, what do they do? They move a little slower, don't they? I don't want to go to church today, Mom. I don't feel good. I can't find my shoes. I don't like the pants that you put out for me. And when you're done with your husband, then you move on to the kids. Now, I know that we laugh, but anybody who's had kids trying to get them to church on a Sunday morning, it is a very rare experience that everything goes according to plan. Every little thing becomes a big deal, doesn't it? Every little thing becomes a big deal. All of a sudden, perhaps you even have nothing to wear. Little Johnny's just sat at the table and he's purposely dumped his Cheerios all over his lap. Or he's thrown his orange juice at his sister and that's the last outfit that she had. And now you don't know what to do. And all of a sudden, you're pulling your hair out. If you've got hair, you're pulling it out. And then you sit down and you go, why bother? I've just kicked the cat because it clawed me on the leg. I can't get my coffee. I don't feel like leaving. I don't want to go to work. I'm just going to stay home because it would be much easier. I've experienced that. Then you get into the car for the fun ride to church because we need to worship Jesus and it's going to be a fun morning. (laughs) You head to church. You're hollering at the kids to sit still. You're once again telling Johnny not to pull his sister's hair. Your husband is hollering and yelling because he can't figure out where he left his coffee. It was on the roof of the car. It's now gone. He's irritated. you got to keep your hands to yourself. Stop this. Stop that. Stop your complaining. Be quiet. It's church day after all, and we're just about ready to pull into the parking lot, and people can see us. (laughs) My face is red. My hair is going all over the place, and we're looking at the kids going, you will enjoy this. You're frustrated, 
You're agitated with your spouse. You're agitated with your kids. You're wondering how on earth you're going to get anything out of the worship, how on earth you're going to get anything out of the message. I'm going to turn the car around and I'm going to leave. And I know for a fact that that is not just my experience over the years because Sunday is the hardest day of the week for people who want to attend church. You hit the walkway with a smile, though, after all that nonsense, don't you? Don't lie to me. You do. You don't come into that door grouchy as a bear. You walk in, and somebody asks, Oh, how are you doing today? I'm great. I'm wonderful. So happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning. <laughs> if you have a kid like mine in the back of the van, I always heard Jonathan's voice. That's really not an appropriate thing for a youth pastor to say, is it, Dad? As we drive off to church. That's most Sunday mornings for most church-going people, isn't it? How on earth we ever get anything out of Sunday if that's how we're getting here? I don't know, but God is good. But you see, sadly, too often we give up and we decide it's easier to stay home. And sometimes it's all we can do to gather together here. But I'm looking out at you all and you're here. Which means some of you went through that this morning and you're here. And thank you. Because this is where you need to be. We need to remember that every single person walking up that walkway, we never know what each other is dealing with or has dealt with as we see one another in the morning on Sunday. We always need to be tender. Because you know what? You want to talk about gifts of the Spirit. Sometimes... You are an answer to someone's prayer. You are the encourager that somebody needs. And perhaps it was all you could do to get here, but you got here. And you become the answer to someone's prayer and you're encouraging someone as they walk in that door and it is the face that they need to see and the smile that they need to see and the good morning that they just needed to have. That could be the greatest gift for a person walking up the walkway. And guess what? Sometimes you are the one in need of that building up. You have just fought with everything you have to get here. And you don't even want to get out of the car. But you drag yourself out of the car in obedience and the Lord honors that by having someone who you need smiling at you and saying, how are you doing? Is everything okay? Can I pray for you? But we need to remember as we tackle the gifts that none of these things happen if we neglect a couple of the basic things of a body of believers. And the first thing, as I said, is personal discipline of prayer. Personal discipline of study and the daily application of what we learn, understanding what God has called us to be and do in this world. See, that'll get us here on Sunday because we want to know more. Our private time always leads us to want to be with the body of Christ. Even if we don't feel like getting out of bed on Sunday morning. And number two, after our personal disciplines of prayer and study and daily application, the weekly gathering together for mutual edification. We need each other. We need each other. You see... I don't have any patience, frankly, for people who say, I don't need to be in church. I can worship Jesus wherever I want. I love you, but that is not how we are wired, and it is not the biblical notion. We need each other. We are wired to be in community, but we are also wired to be built up personally. 
You see, Paul talks about the gifts in exactly this way. He talks about the gifts on how they impact us personally in our own quiet walks and then how they build up the body as a result of how we are being fed personally to how the Lord uses them, most importantly, frankly, to impact, guess who? A non-believer. The outsider who shows up on a given Sunday. But none of this happens if we isolate ourselves and figure that we don't need to be here, that we can do well on our own. See, that's a tool that the enemy uses quite effectively in the church of Christ. That I'm just fine all by myself. I have Jesus and I have the Holy Spirit. I have some news for all of us. Jesus had 12 guys that went with him. He got alone to pray in his personal private time, but he was always with people, discipling and teaching and traveling about. We cannot isolate ourselves because the enemy uses that quite effectively. See, maturing is seen in how we use the gifts to impact not only ourselves but the body, how it is we respond to these gifts, and how it is we respond to one another in the midst of using them. You see, Paul touches on an important theme in this section with regards to understanding. The gifts aren't just for show. They aren't like three points in a prayer and the good old-fashioned Pentecostal service where we got to have two tongues and an interpretation and one prophecy and then an altar call where we lay hands on somebody to make it all work or Jesus hasn't showed up. As I said in my prayer, each one of you, if you belong to Christ, have the Holy Spirit in you. He's already here. We don't have to invite him in. He showed up with each one of you because he dwells within us. So it's a matter of being sensitive to who he is and what he wants to do. So we need to understand how he operates within the body. And he explains, Paul does, why we ought to strive to build up the church. And he starts in verse 6. He says, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in tongues. Now remember, tongues was the issue in Corinth. That's why Paul hyper-focuses on that. Not because it's a bad gift, but because they were doing everything funny with it that they shouldn't have. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as a flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? And that was a problem just by way of useless information in the Civil War. One group of soldiers didn't know what the other bugle call was for another group of soldiers, and they didn't know whether to run in or run out, retreat, do whatever. This is a very good example. And if a bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anybody know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. See, the challenge here for us as believers in Jesus, when we open up the scriptures, is that Paul wants us to be using all of our faculties, to have everything about us engaged in the act of worship. He talks about this in his letter to Rome, and I read it as our first reading. You see, we need to be careful not to get into this thing that they call emotionalism, where we're driven by how we feel, that we have to respond, that we have to react a particular way in order to think that the Holy Spirit has shown up. There is absolutely nothing wrong with emotion. That's fundamentally different than emotionalism. 
Emotion is how we're wired, how I respond to God and how I follow down that road. Emotionalism is just getting absolutely out of control. That was what was going on in Corinth. It's what goes on a lot in some places today. But Paul says in Romans chapter 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. A lot of these things you see in Paul's letter to Rome sound very familiar from this letter to Corinth. It's because Paul had just one string on his banjo. There's a way we're supposed to operate. To be of use to the body of Christ and to this world, we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's the place that we need to start. Being a Christian is not about emotionalisms or our feelings. I've said this before and I'll say it again. The last thing you want from me is to be driven by how I feel because I'm nuts up here. I am unsteady and unstable when I am not focusing on Christ. If I were to go on that emotional roller coaster, it would not be fun. It's bad enough that I have to deal with it. To be driven that way for all of you here would be crazy. We don't want to go based upon our feelings. But our our emotions are involved in our walk and our growth with Christ and how he utilizes these gifts in our life. But what Paul is trying to say to us here in the 21st century language that I like to use is we are never to check our brains at the door. It's the problem that we are accused of as a church in this world is that we just check our brains at the door and we believe anything that comes our way. That's not what Paul wants from us. A complete Christian is exactly that. A complete Christian. Mind, body, and soul. All engaged in submission to our king, working out our salvation with fear and trembling. With our minds active, we test and we discern what God's will is. Now, I want some of you to hear this because this question gets asked of me a lot. We have the ability to actually know the will of our Creator. Starts here. We got 66 books. We can know the will of our Creator. How do I know that? Because that's what the Scripture says. And I'm not sure as I look at this in my life and as I teach the scriptures day in and day out, what is more amazing? The fact that somebody like me and somebody like you can actually know the will of the creator of the universe or that he wants you to know his will. He actually wants us to know what his will is. He is not that cosmic trickster that we make him out to be. Oh, he's just going to test my faith and it's like this cosmic hide and seek game. That's not what the Bible says. That's what we've created in our minds. You see, the gifts open this door up for us. We have the ability to discern what is the will of God, Paul tells us. See, it's always in line with the scriptures. We discern what is good. We discern what is acceptable. We discern what is perfect. 1 Corinthians 14, 13. Therefore, there's that word again. One who speaks in a tongue should do what? Just hope for the best? Is that what Paul tells us? Kind of let it fly and see what happens? No. Who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. Why? Well, Paul makes that clear so that we can all understand. If you're gifted in tongues, the first thing that you should be doing is praying that the Lord would reveal to you what that is. 
And if he doesn't reveal that to you, be praying, okay, is there somebody else who has the gift of interpretation today, Lord, so that I can speak that out so it can be interpreted so the body can be edified? See, what are you doing there? Your heart and your mind are engaged at the same time in order that everybody can be blessed, not just you and the person sitting next to you. Engage our minds to know and understand the good, the pleasing, and the perfect will of our Father in heaven. You see, the intent is that out of our private growth each and every day in our prayer life and our seeking the Lord for what He wants to do in and through us is to come into and work itself out within the public gathering on a Sunday morning. It's to be worked out for the encouragement of everybody that comes, for the building up of the body of believers, and for the clarity of God's word for the entire body of believers. You see, Paul never discourages anyone from using the gifts. I say this with no disrespect. I struggle deeply. I understand that people believe this, but I struggle deeply with the notion that the gifts are not for today. I find nowhere in the text of Scripture, anywhere in his writings, that says the gifts are not for today. What Paul is constantly fighting for in good pastoral care in apostolic ministry is for growth to bring balance to the church, to bring encouragement to the entire community, to teach them how to use them correctly and effectively. So we need to look again at our first reading in Romans 12 because Paul uses the illustration of the body again. The one body, the many parts. If you read 1 Corinthians 12, he says the same thing there. But he starts the challenge in Romans 12 with not to be too fat-headed. Not to be too fat-headed. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So don't think you're better than person sitting next to you or that person over there for any reason, but think of yourself with sober judgment. Now, I suspect that Paul wrote that to Rome, which was a letter that came after this letter to Corinth. He wrote that to them based upon the experiences that he was having in the church in Corinth and trying to straighten his friends out. So he brings that lesson forward to the church in Rome. Paul saw firsthand what happened when the church became self-absorbed, when it began thinking only of themselves, their own personal desires and their own personal needs. He saw firsthand what that looked like in Corinth. And he's saying, look it, that's not what Jesus has us to be about. That's not what he wants from us. You see, the gifts then became divisive. That's what happened. Instead of edifying, they divided. They began to tear the body apart in ways that they were never intended to. They were doing the very thing that they weren't supposed to do. Instead of bringing the body together in unity, they tore the body apart because it became about the gifts as opposed to glorifying God, growing in our knowledge and faith of Jesus, and then blessing the body. It tore it apart. You see, if we think of ourselves in proper light, if we think of ourselves in proper light, that it is by grace that we are saved through faith. Andy prayed it this morning. It is by God's grace that we stand. Through faith in Christ, 
each one of us ought to be just a little bit slower to think too much of ourselves. See, I can be boastful, but the problem is, is I know the blackness of my own heart. You don't, thankfully, because I'd be out of a job tomorrow. But I know the blackness of my heart. That slows me down just a little bit, just a little bit. I hope it also makes me a little bit quicker to extend grace to people. And I hope it makes you a little bit quicker to extend grace to people as well. Because you see, grace is a gift of God as well. To those in our lives that fall up short. You see, Romans 12, 4 and 5, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. That is almost exactly what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 27. We are individual members in the body, but we each have a different function. We would have no power, no fans, no lights, no nothing if one particular person didn't exercise their ability and their gift to pay the bills, to balance the books, and to make sure that we are running here. And it ain't me. I have trouble putting my name on a credit card receipt. But Andy takes care of that. We have people out back right now teaching kids. That doesn't happen by accident, but it happens every Sunday because people are gifted in that. See, we want the things that bring glory to ourselves. We don't want that quiet, submitted, what can I do to serve, Lord, in order to bless others? And in doing so, I get to be blessed. So we want to be careful. We are individual members, but we make up the body of Christ. See, in this truth, every one of us has a story, don't we? When we come up the walkway, we have a story every Sunday. We're on a journey that we're all dealing with different things in a different way that we're struggling with somehow. Each one of you have dealt with something that probably set you on your heels this week or on your toes. But we are here together to build one another up. You see, the gifts are given in their different forms to complete, to complement, and to serve the whole body. To serve the whole body. So whatever they are for you, I don't know what they are. In fact, the gifts are open to anybody. You just need to be prayerful to ask the Lord, what is it you want to do in and through me for the body that you have put me in? How do you want to use me, Lord? So whatever they are, as you seek, and then you ask God to use you. Because you see what happens in your simple obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit. As I said at the outset, you may very well be someone else's answer. If we would think for a minute about the divine appointments that we have throughout the week that we never even realize that's what they are. You have no idea if your smile is what carries a person to break time or if your encouraging word is what helps them over that bump in the road or that two minutes of time to offer them a cup of coffee or a water. We think we need to have this big M80 firecracker explosion for God to use us. No, I'm sorry to say to you, 99.9% .9 of the time it is in the quiet moments of your life 
where you are simply obedient to the simple things to say, how can I help this person? What can I do today, Lord? You see, tongues are awesome. Prophecy's awesome. But sitting next to somebody and saying, can I pray for you? I don't even know what you need prayer for, but I just feel led in my spirit to pray. I don't even need to know, but I want to be obedient. See, that's where the work's done. That's why it's important that we sort these things out. And frankly, as much as I irritate people, that's why the church can't be a circus and all about me. Because it turns people off. It doesn't provide the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to work in people. And that's what we're about. Every song that is done here is for that purpose. It's not to make you happy. It's to bring you to a place of holiness before him. And the simple act of an obedient worship team to be up here to do those things, to help all of us walk into that place, prepares us for what God has for each and every one of us. So the big earth-shattering kaboom, more often than not, comes when we are very simply someone's answer to prayer by being obedient to him. You see, if we don't gather together on a Sunday morning, frankly, none of this will happen. We may miss divine opportunities. But here's the funny thing, and this is the rub where I get accused of being liberal. There are some Sunday mornings, and I don't recommend this, but there are some Sunday mornings where we are deeply led to be with somebody, but not here. Now, I leave that with you to sort out because that is your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because sometimes somebody might deeply feel led to be with somebody who wouldn't come here, so the Lord's using you to be there. I don't recommend that to happen every weekend, and that better not become an excuse. (laughs) But I know, I know that that happens at times. That's why our personal time is very important. So that's just an aside that I would help us to ponder. You see, perhaps being an answer to someone's prayer edifies them, it builds them up, it encourages them, and it increases their faith. Perhaps that poor person was holding on by the tips of their fingers to the altar of God, and your encouragement helped them hold on a little longer. See, it's for both those within and without the church, and I have to move a little quicker here. You see, because the ultimate goal of the church of Jesus Christ in this world is to seek and to save the lost, to reach those who have never heard it with the gospel, to engage the non-believer, most especially if that non-believer has been encouraged to come here on a Sunday morning, and they've, they've wrestled that up and mustered that courage up to come here. You see, Paul is always concerned in his writings in a twofold way. Number one, that the believer in the church grow to maturity. That is his prime concern because we're useless in the world if we're not growing in maturity. We are to do so through discipleship, one from another. That can't happen in isolation, okay? My duty and the duty of the elders and leaders of this church is to equip people for works of ministry. That's Ephesians 4. Ministry is done by everybody, not by one. If ministry is done by one, we fail. Ministry is done by everyone. 
Sometimes the greatest gift you can have is, again, nursery. And then sharing our faith. Sharing our faith with people we meet. That's the first thing. Number two, that by engaging the non-believer, they too then become a lifelong follower of Jesus. That's ultimately the goal of the church, that we are disciples, that we grow in the knowledge and the grace of Jesus, be conformed to his likeness, and then we reach people with the gospel so that they too can become lifelong followers of Jesus. Pretty simple task that we geniuses have overcomplicated. The gift of prophecy, which convicts and calls us to repentance, is primarily used. That's what Paul says back to 1 Corinthians. But if all prophecy... But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he or she is convicted by all. They are called to account by all. The secrets of their heart are disclosed. And so, falling on their face, they will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Now, that's kind of freaky and cool all at the same time. You see, if a non-believer comes in and sees crazy chaos, and I've been in services where that's happened. In fact, I was a non-believer that I walked into a service before I was saved and saw crazy chaos. And I very unkindly asked my aunt to bring me home. Now, the Lord had a hold of me and I ended up going back and he really got a hold of me. But that's another story for another time. Point being, when they walk in and they see crazy chaos, incoherent babbling and all kinds of disorder and everything, there's a very good chance that we will never see them again. And I'm not talking about kowtowing to the culture. That's just an excuse for all kinds of bizarre freedoms. That's not what I'm talking about. Paul is never saying, don't use the gifts, and nor am I. What Paul is saying is to use them properly and to use them purposefully. You see, because sometimes in our exuberance or our immaturity, and sadly at times our selfishness, we use them inappropriately. I have. And I've seen it happen. We need to be careful. This is why we need to be together. This is why we, we work these things out by ourselves, and then we come and we are encouraging one another. Now, we can't control how people will respond, okay? So if you have an unbeliever or an outsider come in, we cannot control how people will respond to the gifts when they are active within our service. I'm not asking anybody to control that. That's why I say we're not giving in to the culture. But we certainly can control how we present ourselves and how we represent Christ in this place that he calls us to gather. Our mission is to, through the power of the Holy Spirit, help people see and to come to Jesus. You see, God's mission or goal is to gather and make a people for himself through his son Jesus, conforming them to his likeness. The gifts, and there are many more than just tongues and prophecy, many more than just tongues and prophecy. The gifts, as we see in Romans 12, are to help both of those objectives. That's why Paul was trying to sort out the Corinthian church as well. And... I've talked for a while and I am just about ready to be done. But I have this on a slide because I think that we need to take this home with us and wrestle it through. Our personal, private growth is complete only in as much as we are an active part of the community of believers. Say that again. Our personal, private growth is complete only inasmuch as we are an active part in the community of believers. You can't get around that. This isn't an either-or scenario. Paul is giving us a map for how our gatherings are to look, and it's a function and an outworking of our private time with the Lord, 
with regards to being the body of Christ and individually members of the body of Christ. Our focus is all-encompassing. Individuals working together to build one another up to create a vibrant, healthy community of believers who represent Christ to reach the lost. The gifts are an essential and vital part to us being able to do that. If I could have the worship team. I want to just read this last scripture to you as we prepare our hearts. Mind, body, and soul. I'm sure that once we're done with this gift series, people will hope I never preach on it again. But I think it's important that if we're going to use them and we need to use them, that we know how purposeful they are. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, what does Paul say? Let us use them. That's what he says. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. So don't try to be somebody you're not. Where has God got you as an individual? Okay, that's the point. In proportion to our faith. If service in our serving. Don't be somebody else, be yourself. To the one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So I leave it very simply with you. Whatever God has called you to do, in proportion to the faith that he has given you, do it. And do it with a joyful heart. Don't be me. Don't be the person sitting next to you. But each one of you is a vital, essential part of this body. So whatever God has given you in proportion to your faith, step out. If you are nervous, can I have the prayer team come, please? We got people that are willing to pray for you. For courage, for encouragement. Again, this is why we gather as a body of believers. Let's stand. I think I've said more than enough. Fathers, we close in this one last song. I want to encourage anybody that just, perhaps even if they need just a little encouragement, they're feeling a tug that they're supposed to be doing something or that there's a gift that you've given them and they're not entirely sure how to use it and what to do with it. I pray that you would encourage them to step out, that we would, as a body of believers, encourage one another, as your word tells us, that they would get prayer. I pray that you would have the the capacity to just step out this morning and ask the Lord for strength in that, that we could just begin to grow and edify one another. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.